we all have kind of an interesting background together. Like mm. I actually come from government orig originally and I was there a bit longer. Okay. Uh, Boyd has a sales background. Um, so we leveraged our network kind of built up an even better one over the course of like a year and a half. We didn't actually try and sell anything for about a year and a half. Technologies. We have a we have a full team here today. Um, Eric Boyd, thank you for joining me. Um, sorry, the third member. Erwin. Erwin. Okay, so I mean, usually when we've done this, um, you know, it's usually one to one with the, with the founder, or like you know, people are in different rooms because they're under quarantine, and everyone's calling in. We're on different screens, but you guys are together in uh, at a cottage up north, which is. Yeah. Which is good, man. The team building, it's a little bit of uh, hacking and coding while, uh, while resting, I guess, right? What does yeah. that look like, man? Like, are you guys working? Are you guys relaxing? Uh, I mean, it's still full days of work, but um, in the nighttime, we try and relax. We just cook a nice meal, have a few beers, and, and watch a movie. It's all you can please, right? Do you guys, do you guys traditionally like, uh, live and work together? Uh, we work together often, and we, we all kind of live relatively close, so we're, we're always together. Like you, yeah. you find us apart generally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a little bit different when uh, you know you're running a company, but you live together too, mm -hmm. right? I had that experience before as well. Um, I mean, it's like yeah, like you start keeping yourself accountable. <laughs> you know, like you walk by somebody and like they're like just chilling or gaming, and everyone else is working. It's like yo, what are you doing there, buddy? You know, like <laughs> we got this to do. We got a deadline. Right? Do you find that you're more productive when you guys are in the like in the same space together, or do you like being separately your own? I I'd say together is always better for us. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, we're we're pretty much inseparable anyways. We do everything together. Yeah. Uh, outside of work too, so we might as well live together at this point. Nice, <laughs> definitely. Um, so let's talk about that. Um, Hoffman Technologies. You guys are a logistics company, right? It's kind of built into the name. Uh, you guys, so it's it's a shuttle service kind of kind of business. Yeah, it's more of a marketplace where we connect, uh, like we'll sell to the companies uh, direct to enterprise, and then we'll organize whichever shuttles that we can or you know ride shares uh, to help them commute to work. And and the focus again is on the last mile. Like we're not trying to replace transit, we're just trying to support it in the areas where it's uh, there are gaps. Yeah. So you're trying to solve this last mile problem for for enterprise and corporate players. Um, let's talk a little bit about that problem set. Uh, do you guys experience this yourself? Like, how'd you end up solving this problem? Oh, well, I mean, I guess it's one of those situations where we were kind of, yeah, solving our own problem. Yeah. Um, we all really hated our commutes to work in school. Mm. Um, it turned like Erwin ended up moving downtown to Toronto so that he didn't have to do the commute anymore. You know, he pays three times as much in rent. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, boy drove across the 401. I took two buses and a train every day. It was just, it was killing us, right? Like every weekend we got together and we were kind of complaining more and more about this. So um, we set out to kind of solve our own problem, realize that our friends and family had the problem. And then over the past few years, it's just kind of snowballed into this huge, huge issue that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, is not just about commuting, but we've, we figured out that it's actually about economic development and urban planning now. Like how you lay the infrastructure will ultimately help uh, the commute. So. We started there, you know, angry guys at a bar, and then ended up here uh, trying to solve big infrastructure problems. Mm -hmm. Okay, so th there's definitely a path there. So you guys, um, 
all uh, work together? You guys went to school together? Where did that start? Uh, we actually we grew up together in Pickering. Oh. Yeah, in Pickering. Okay. We went to school together. Erwin um, was one of my little brother's best friends growing up. Boyd and I went to high school, so Erwin's a little bit younger than us, but um, I've known these guys pretty much my whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's different, man. Like starting a company um, with people you know already for a long time is tr- definitely the way to go. I mean, if you look at most co-founders, childhood buddies, that's uh, that's different, right? Yeah. How'd that journey come about? Like, you know, when did you guys start going in onset? What was it? A, like a few years ago. A few years ago, yeah. November 2017, I think we we started to talk about the idea. I uh, I called Boyd first. We started to talk it out, and then a few months later, um, I just randomly got on the phone with Erwin, and I was like, "Do you want to try this with us?" And he was like, "You know what? Why not? Let's go for it." <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so the this marketplace idea, right? So, is it kind of like an Uber for a corporate kind of model where people have their own shuttles, or do you guys have your own shuttles? Um, how how does this work? Like, uh, how are you trying to solve this last mile problem? It's more of a you question. Yeah. Uh, so what we do is we focus mostly on the logistics aspect of it. That's why we okay. uh, position ourselves as a logistic company. Um, so we're asset light. So we actually don't own the shuttles. So we work with third party like like the Ubers. We have a Uber for Business um, Plus account with them. But we mostly work with shuttle and uh, charter companies who have mm-hmm. tons of idle fleet right now, especially now during COVID. Um, they normally focus on like events, you know, weddings, trips to Niagara Falls. But it's very inconsistent business. So we're able to provide for them because we work with these corporations. Corporations no, normally work you know, Monday to Friday, sometimes on the weekends as well. So we're able to provide them very consistent business that they're normally not used to. So they obviously love us very, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so our business model in terms of that is we, we work that marketplace of connecting the corporations with these transportation options to kind of fill those gaps that are left by public transit. And it's all kind of operating through us as a logistics. And we organize it by looking at the community pain points of the employees and figuring out what's the best way we can support them. So it's less of a taxi service, more of like a, a corporate transit almost, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely see the see the, the merits in that, especially large corporates. I mean, it's hard to figure out, you know, where your employees are coming and going from and knowing all this stuff. Like, who is a typical player in this? Like, who's really interested? What type of companies? What size? I think you have to differentiate, like, pre-pandemic and, and during COVID yeah. now. Yeah. Um, our main focuses before were uh, kind of the manufacturing industrial sectors, mm-hmm. like all of that. Um, and then we had a couple of large scale tech companies as well that were interested, right? Because Facebook and, and all those guys do it down in, in, in Silicon Valley, right? They all have shuttle yeah. buses everywhere. So uh, those were the focuses. And then, of course, during the pandemic, everybody in tech started working from home. Um, but what we realized is that manufacturing can't, right? And, mm. and, service we need to eat um, you know we need to to provide uh the the ppe and things as well right so we shifted focus to to really hit those manufacturing companies more and more uh so i mean one of our, our largest clients is what maple lodge farms, maple lodge farms yeah and one of the big things for them is that uh and for what we're seeing in the industry as well is that when it comes to commuting it has a big impact on retention rate for their employees and also their ability to recruit um, mm-hmm. What we're doing with these big corporations, especially when you look at some of the manufacturing jobs um, that operate and normally have more of the lower paying minimum wage type jobs, those are the people who are in need of our service the most. 
um, and they're the ones that are, are the ones that are hiring. Um, so what we do is we again look at that connecting piece of helping those employees get the work. And from the corporate side standpoint, they're able to retain more employees because it's easier to get the work. But they're also able to recruit outside their normal hiring pool, so they really expand their hiring pools to be able to um, have more diverse talent. Yeah, I'd say the coolest thing is that we discovered uh, through doing this, we can help people from marginalized communities a lot more than we thought we could immediately um, and help them access better job opportunities. Like, um, whereas a Maple Lodge hired from, from Scarborough, Scarborough, like they're in Brampton, right? Like way out in yeah. Boulevard there. And um, they hired their first two employers from Scarborough because of our service. Because uh, normally mm -hmm. it would be three plus hours on three or four transit systems, right, to get there. Um, so that was really, really cool to be able to to do that. So now we're really focusing on on accessing those marginalized communities and helping them get access to better job opportunities too. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, kudos to you guys. That's that's big. Uh, I grew up in Scarborough. I can definitely see that problem. Uh, one of the big, main issues is like the uh, the boroughs in Toronto, like especially Scarborough, the Saga, um, like the, they, they were built by like American architects meant for everyone to have cars. It's meant for two family, two like, you know, two car families. Yeah. Um, so most of our city, like like the GTA is enormous. It's so spread out. Even Brampton alone, it, it's a, such a flat land trying to get across it. it. It's 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 such a such a such a vast spaces you had to go to get anywhere, and it is built by design, right? It was yeah. built by design that way, so it forced people to buy cars. Since the 60s and 70s, the 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 the, the city was engineered to be um, you know a honeypot for cars, you know, to buy cars, mm -hmm. and um, like and now like you know. It becomes such a hassle because of the gridlock, even though the the infrastructure has not grown with the population, right? Like one of the craziest benefits of COVID is the remote from like remote working infrastructure, right? Again, it's only for most majority of most uh, very few segments of the, of the population, right? But for for as a workplace in in a whole, I think we went from we shifted from four percent. Uh, an economy that had a work from home at a four percent capacity to forty percent. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't look like most are going to go back. Even, even we might do, you know, we're going to hit, we might go to dip down a little bit. A lot of people go back to the jobs, but I think that work from home life is going to be there. But even at that point, you know, car like buying cars and, and maintaining cars, um, a lot of the newer generations are not doing that. Right. Funniest exactly. thing is during COVID, everyone thought cars buying would go down, but actually went up for some strange reason. And people are trying to figure this out. But like we're in such a flux about what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen with transportation, with working, with all these spaces that are lying vacant. Mm -hmm. right? What have you guys been seeing being part of logistics and seeing what's happening? Right? Are you guys monitoring the situation uh, from that kind of level? Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on a few different areas. I think like the first is just looking at the workplace, right? Obviously mm -hmm. um, that's kind of why we, we double down on the manufacturing sector. Mm -hmm. um, and again, most of the manufacturing sector is outside of Toronto, right? They're, you're not going to have a, a factory in, in the middle of downtown anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, we're doing a lot of work in eastern Ontario, like outside of Durham region. We're looking at, uh, you know, the Windsor region as well and, and up north a little bit, um, Innisfil. Um, I, I think looking at that, seeing that all these factories and companies are out there, that they need support because a lot of times they feel as though transit has failed them in, in a lot of ways. Um, and then also looking at the fact that uh, the other factor you tie in is the people now starting to move out of the city, right? Moving mm -hmm. out of the areas anyways. Um, 
what we we often see is exactly this scenario, which is commercial development outpaces transit's ability to support it, right? And that's not a knock on transit. It's never a knock on transit with us. That's what I want to get clear. Yeah. Uh, it's that you know the amount of resources you need to develop transit in an area that's growing that quickly, it's insane, right? So mm-hmm. they do. Um, and if all these people are starting to move up, my parents are moving up to Coburg actually right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're starting to develop and people are starting to move out there, you do need the support, right? And they're going to look to get jobs in the areas because people don't want to travel all the way across the province to work every day. Um, so how can we help? We kind of looked at it and said, okay, corporations have this need, people have this need now. You're always mixing residential and commercial, but can you create uh, a solution that starts with the work life and then expands out to your everyday lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a great point you're saying, but transit, right? Like we, we in Toronto, like, you know, we kind of trash our transit system, but we love it at the same time, you know, the ride the rocket whole, whole stuff. But one of the issues we have with transit is that we have a huge density problem other than like downtown, uh, downtown Toronto, right? Like Toronto, like the GTA in, in North America, we're the, the fourth largest city, like by size, yep. but in population, like 17th. Right. So we're a very like sprawled out city uh, without the resources. Uh, we don't have the, um, the density to support, you know, like large scale transit projects. And I know, I mean, look at the struggle we've had trying to get more subways coming in and, uh, you know, the back and forth between light rail or subways and how do we expand, where to expand and who's going to pay for it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, so I think like transportation is a big issue here and, I think what's really surprising about what you're saying here is that, you know, a lot of your companies are coming from the manufacturing side. You know, you would think that the, the whole shuttle bus service is kind of like a, a luxury service, you know, like tech workers kind of get it. You know, you see that Silicon Valley kind of vibe, you know, you work in a large scale, large level, like, you know, company like Magna International or, or like a bank, right? Like, like a large level bank, like, you know, you see like that's, that being like a luxury thing, like a, like, a, like a perk you get, you know, you get picked up at your house or like a common area by a the shuttle bus, you don't have to pay for transit, you don't have to wait in the cold, you don't have to, you know, take your own car, all that kind of stuff, pay for parking. Yeah. You get dropped off. What What's the real incentive for the manufacturing side, for the, for the manufacturing industry to have shuttles going on? I think it's what Boyd touched on before. It's it's number one, helping them expand hiring pools. They're, mm-hmm. so, they're so limited in where they can hire from because people just won't travel in from other areas outside, right? Like it's not as easy to get into uh, into Coburg or Port Hope from anywhere outside of there as it is from a Mississauga to Toronto, right? There's no mm-hmm. go that does that for you. Um, the second thing would be the overall retention, because I think there's a number of studies that we've read over the years that show uh, a direct correlation between a better commute and more job satisfaction, mm-hmm. right? Better retention. So, you know, we, we don't claim to solve retention issues, but we, we definitely can support uh, the retention strategy of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's exactly what you said. I mean, we, I think made the mistake originally of thinking this was a luxury service too, because it seems like a luxury. Yeah. If you go to the, to those areas outside of the TTC or, or readily available public transit access, mm-hmm. it is a necessity. And yeah. like I said, I think they, a lot of them feel like the, the transit has failed them a bit out there and that it's not supporting them the way they need it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're here to prop up those industries and prop up the, the rural areas a lot, especially. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting because uh, you know that's something that we don't really think about is that you know we we talk about you know logistics into getting into the city you know we, we think about jobs being like the more white collar jobs more office level jobs you know coming in you don't really think about the outflow of people going to where the manufacturing is 
which is mostly in, in, in uh, smaller communities where if you're trying to put up a plant, I guess you want to be in a place that has minimal density of population, but also far enough away. But then you have the problem of like, okay, bringing the people in, right? It's not a problem that we think about a lot. So I think that's 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 pretty interesting. How did you guys get into the space? Like, how did you first start getting those clients? Like, were you already working within the space? Did you already have a, a pool of people, a pool of clientele they could reach out to, right? Or was it cold calls? Like, how did you guys get get uh, established? We we all have kind of an interesting background together. Like, mm. I actually come from government orig originally, and I was there a bit longer. Okay. Uh, Boyd has a sales background, um, so we leveraged our network kind of built up an even better one over the course of like a year and a half. We didn't actually try and sell anything for about a year and a half, mm -hmm. uh, just built the right networks. And then we use those to kind of do a lot of lead generation for us and, and reach out. Right. Because we rely heavily on, on referrals and word of mouth um, yeah. from specific groups. Right. So we work with like economic developers. Um, they've been really, really helpful to us in, in different regions. Um, you know, urban planners, commercial developers, real estate, property management, you name it. Um, mm -hmm. The whole vertical of like how a city is developed, basically. Yeah. Everybody, and that is who we like to work with. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, you're a logistics company. You're doing you're providing shuttle services for manufacturing, especially manufacturing, heavily on the manufacturing side of the of industries. But, you know, you, the way you got to them is through urban planning. Urban well, planners and, and, that, and that kind of industry, yeah. And I think, again, what we realized over the course of the three years when we built this was uh, that, again, at the core, the real issue is urban planning and, and economic development, right? Like, as we build a city, are we thinking about how we develop it in a predictive way, right? Are we pigeonholing ourselves like some metropolitan cores have done? And that's kind of where Irwin came in to, to help us build this because we're looking at it, A, from a data perspective and technology, like software and product build. Mm -hmm. uh, but Irwin... You know, he studies stats and math and data. So we figured out that it's it's the traveling salesman problem. Well, he figured mm. out the traveling salesman problem. Um, and I guess we're trying to incorporate machine learning and eventually a degree of AI into that, right? To to build prediction machines around this. Yeah. So uh, the idea here is that if we can sort of uh, understand how uh, people move around the city, understand the flow of traffic around cities, right? And we can understand um, the city grid line, we can sort of predict movement through the city. And using that knowledge, we can build cities in ways that are more efficient to support mm. a sort of movement. Yeah. Um, I mean, no pun intended, but this uh, logistics transportation company is the vehicle to get us to infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I think, uh, you know, um, you're touching on some really interesting things here. The traveling sales problem is something that I'm, I'm particularly really fascinated with, right? Like, so... In summarize, you know, you have all these different nodes, right, where if people, if things are traveling between these nodes. How do you figure out how best to interlink them, right? Um, that's That kind of summarizes the traveling salesman problem. So it, when you have such a large bunch of nodes, aka people moving around the city, and you have all these different places they can potentially go to, you know, how do you use to even start with that problem? Like, you know, we, of course, you first map it out, start to get those visualizations, but where do you go from there? Right. Well, I think this is what like Waze and Google have been trying to solve forever, right? And then yeah. it's it's that everybody looks at the traveling salesman problem as if it's a it's a distance problem, right? Mm. Just you know how what's the quickest route I can take, but it's time relative to distance, right? Mm -hmm. Because traffic exists, people will figure out um, 
oh, this is actually the shortest way, so let's all start taking it, and the density will build up, and then you're stuck in traffic on on the 401 going westbound for for three yeah. hours. Um, so I think I think that's what the kind of Irwin is setting out for our course in terms of of the future of this company is, yeah. um, you know, using that human behavior or or kind of the 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 I don't know what you call it, like the the know-how just because we live in the area or somebody lives in the area, right? You know this is the best route. You know this back road might actually be faster. Yeah. Uh, how can we incorporate that into the machine learning algorithm? How can we use that to build the prediction algorithms that we're, we're going to develop around it? Yeah. And I think like the, like the economics behind this is, is so vast, right? So funny enough, like McDonald's, like I remember the story, like McDonald's uh, experiences firsthand. When they start first rolling out like the breakfast menu and, and, and options, they they expected you know because we have all this huge influx of people coming in and buying buying, buying stuff that will just spike when they roll out a new a new thing but what they saw was that a lot of people like there's a certain subset of people who during the morning rush hours were coming and buying um um what, what was it their milkshakes right particularly the milkshakes and they didn't they like they were kind of intrigued by why they're they're buying this like we have all these breakfast options but why are you buying milkshakes right in the, in the morning and uh what it was is they actually went and had to study this was that uh, the, the people the, the places that were buying the milkshakes the most was where where gridlock tends to happen the most so people were buying milkshakes because they know they're gonna be stuck in traffic and they wanted something to like just slurp on but also something that will sit in their stomach and tie them over to lunch, right? So they can, they can inject this into them, they can enjoy, you know, while they're, while they're sitting in traffic, they can just, you know, sit there and uh, have this, enjoy this drink. And that was the main reason they were buying that particular product. Not because they were hungry or anything, but because the gridlock, they had experienced that, that led to a purchase behavior. And, you know, that led to McDonald's to do like more like a wider open up their like, you know, their um, their analysis of, of, of their market into a wider category. And they can understand behavior around what, you know, the, the, what, what people are doing rather than just eating or in, what food they're enjoying. But why are they uh, they're participating in this? Right. So I, I think like like the analytics behind this becomes so intriguing for any any player. So uh, we actually had. Um, uh, what's it? Uh, Lawrence Etta, the CTO of uh, City of Toronto, on on the podcast uh, last year, and we we're talking about this, right? One of the most fascinating things about uh, Toronto is like the the open data project that we have going on over the past few years, right? Uh, New York City, you know, they when they open when they opened up all their data uh, to their citizens, um, you know, it, they kind of like set the set a wave, a cascading wave out there of showing that like, hey, when we, when a city, when a, a government opens up its uh, its its uh its data data sets there are concerned citizens people who actually care who actually step in and start solving problems community led problems uh, societal problems right yeah. and open data Toronto's doing a pretty good job they're getting better and better at like getting all these data points out there have you guys played with that data do you guys uh, intersect with that at all yeah so that's actually where we started um so as Eric mentioned uh when we started this whole idea we spent the first year and a half to, to two years just doing research and just learning about our market uh learning about the areas of needs and how we could help so uh we used uh open data to uh just to do a lot of analysis um market analysis in order to better understand mm. what kind of analysis like where like where did you start from like um were you, did you do any visualizations? Did you, what were you looking for? 
Um, so we did visualizations. A lot of it was uh, really just um, product validation uh, at, at the beginning. Uh, and so we kind of snowballed that into uh, into understanding maybe what what types of areas, what types of uh, yeah, what types of areas and cities that we that we could target or that we mm. should have in order to to further our business. Um, Can you talk a bit about that? Like, what are the patterns you saw? Like, you 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 focus particularly on the GTA or yeah. any particular area. Like, what yeah. patterns do you see? We looked at Toronto. We also looked at the the York region, just a bit up north. So uh, we looked at Markham. We looked at Vaughan and a bit of the surrounding cities of Toronto. Mm -hmm. We, um, I, I mean, I guess you could say a lot of it's like heat maps, right? Like the cluster algorithms yeah. that they base it off of. So we kind of looked at where are people grouping for work? Where are they grouping to live? Um, what are the hotspot transit stops, right? Or, or hubs? Mm -hmm. uh, we expanded that and we said, okay, um, if, if company X is located here in the city, what are the hotspots around them that they're not able to access right now, right? Mm -hmm. Again, a bit of product, a bit of operations here in sales, we can say, okay, based on these heat maps, we can develop our products to, to help them in this way, but also we can understand how we access um, both sides of the marketplace here, right? Mm -hmm. So so one of the things that we know you can notice about the, your website when you come in, it, it's not like a SaaS tool where you can just log in and like order a bus or jump in, no. right? How, how do companies uh, like work with you? So, I mean, I'll admit that the, the tech is still coming. We, we decided not to build anything until we knew there was a proper demand for it. Mm. Capital efficient as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and we've been able to run a, a few companies relatively brick and mortar to this point. Gotcha. Uh, I think Erwin just finished developing the, uh, the mobile app for the rider. So it's, you know, basically an Uber app with some chat functions and the, the schedule on it. Mm. Uh, so the, the riders can go through and see that. We're developing another one for the drivers. Yeah, so we're also developing a driver application uh, that will just provide drivers with directions for their routes. Um, one of the very interesting things I'm also developing is uh, a corporate dashboard, right? So this is a dashboard for our clients, the corporations that we're helping service, uh, to provide them with metrics that kind of summarize uh, their employees' commutes. Mm. Um, and uh, we're hoping that this can do two things. We're hoping that this can uh, maybe shed a bit of insight on how their employees' commutes are going and how we can help improve them. Um, and we're also hoping that, sorry, we're also hoping that um, it can. Um, it tracks the metrics for them. Yeah, yeah. Like, so there's different metrics they ask us to track, basically, right? Mm, yeah. uh, usually they run through with Void as they're, they're onboarding as clients, but mm -hmm. throw all this into a dashboard. So it, it still won't be a SaaS model, but there will be a login on the on the dashboard that they can they can access. Gotcha. Uh, we'll provide them with reporting on that. Yeah. So, the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the and the operational side of that as well. So, in terms of working with the companies currently, is we provide uh, we produce uh, we perform a needs assessment, and that needs assessment is for understanding the community challenges that their employees are facing, and then that's kind of how we again reach out to our, our network of transportation providers to be able to kind of fill those gaps. So, like Eric and Erwin mentioned before, is that we look at the where everybody is coming from, how they're getting there in relation to that open data that you mentioned before. So what are the transportation of, um, options available for them? And then we can kind of see a very holistic picture of everything that's going on. And then from there, we're able to uh, um, create the most optimal shuttle lines because we mm -hmm. see the actual gaps that are left by public transit and we can see how we can best um, you know, transport their employees. Yeah. And I, won't, I won't say too much about this. I don't think I'm allowed to say too much, but okay. Brooks, 
you know, when we compare to the open data, we have noticed uh, several anomalies in our data, in our own data sets that we found, um, and a few tweaks that we can make to the proprietary software that we're developing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, broad strokes, just differentiating between even Toronto to the rest of the GTA to rural Ontario, right? Like there are insane differences between all of them. Um, yeah. I think they should not be grouped uh, the way that they are currently. Yeah, they're not the same. There's a, there's no question about that. Um, like traffic and movement in those different areas are very, very different. Mm. Uh, and instead of building, I guess, one blanket solution for uh, sort of the whole region, the whole province, let's say, um, it's, better, it's better to build specific solutions for specific areas yeah. um, that, uh, that use essentially self-learning, almost mm. self-learning methods in order to uh, maximize efficiency for certain regions. Which is why you won't see a SaaS model coming out on our, our <laughs> website anytime soon, because we do offer bespoke solutions. It, it is customized to their needs specifically. No, and understandable, right? It's, it's corporate players, right? Sometimes they require customized solutions. Um, so that's interesting. You have three different technologies kind of in development, the corporate login um, the, the, for the drivers and then for uh, the actual riders. Right to see when their the pickups and drop-offs are. Um, so, how how did that capacity building come up? Right, like, are you guys anyone anyone programmers? You had to learn coding or yeah. Uh, yeah so, <laughs> so I myself uh, come from a tech background, uh, programming yeah. background. Um, and so I put together a, a small team. And as Eric said, we held off on product uh, just because we wanted to make sure that there was an actual need for it. Uh, we also wanted to make sure that we weren't just building features for the fun of it, but we were building features that would actually help uh, our clients at the end of the day. Um, so we started, uh, we really started pushing product over the summer. Um, and COVID has been kind of a blessing in that sense, <laughs> giving us opportunity to just really focus on what we're doing and put everything into it. Uh, and yeah, so we've been, we've been, build, we've been building product um, and we're looking to release at least our consumer, our writer application um early next year um mm-hmm. uh the ios and android platforms cool uh i mean it's funny you say that like uh, so many people in the, in the innovation industry you know keeps keep referring to COVID as a blessing in disguise I, i've heard this term so many times you know i mean this radical change uh it, it for like you know for people who are the, for the risk takers for the innovators for the entrepreneurs anytime there's a radical change is happening you know you, you start finding these strategic blanks where it's so natural to us right and uh it's interesting you say that like co like you know for this industry in particular um this being a blessing in disguise right so like, like let's just talk about the, the learning curves here right like you're launching this technology platform you know um you mentioned you had some experience with this but have you guys launched anything technology-wise before yourselves like a technology solution? No, no. I, I worked at a fintech before, <laughs> but I, I mostly did uh, like marketing and things like that. So. Mm. I mean, I've worked on a, I've worked on a couple of small side projects myself. Where I had been school projects or just projects I worked on at hackathons. Yeah. Um, never launched a, a full product to this extent into production, um, the same way that we're doing now. So it's been a huge learning experience for myself as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm I'm ready. For, I'm up for the challenge. Yeah, great. I, I, what I like about you guys is like, you know, you guys took this as a strategic challenge. You know, you took the time to like kind of learn the markets, go to the data. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know there's a lot of people who get kind of like, oh, this is a cool idea. Let's build something or like get build heavy and just and just go into it. 
You know, um, I, I like to, I like talking to people who just took the time to like systematically learn their markets, understand who the players are, because it drastically affects your business long term growth, right? Like, um, you know, especially the, like I think it's something you can learn from the manufacturing industry. Um, I had the pleasure of like working um, directly for a CEO of a manufacturing um, within the manufacturing industry who builds a business, and this guy was so ingrained, like like everyone in the manufacturing industry knows everyone, because like, mostly because of supply chains and like this plant makes this and that plant makes that, they all know each other. And um, yeah, like, you know, I would see this, my old boss, you know, he would like, you know, whenever like sales were low, he'd just call somebody and just talk to him. And then like, we'll be like, like I'll be there in the room with him and he'll just talk to him about random things. And he's like, so yo, you can you just buy like, uh, a few carts of these, you know, like, uh, we, you know, we, we, we need something offloaded. And the way that the industry works is just like the network, like everyone just kind of knows everyone. And just like, you can just like, you know, just it's like talking to your, talking to your buddy. So the fact that you start putting these effective networks and like learning who's, who's players are and building these relationships, that's definitely going to go a long way for you. Um, and I think most businesses who are built on those network effects tend yeah. to drive a little better. Uh, there's a lot of tech heavy people who think that, you know, just cause they create great tech that it'll just sell itself. You know, there's a lot of people who think that just cause they have a great product, it just moves itself, but it actually requires that element of like knowing your customer, saw, like you're actually talking to them and seeing what they t- talk about, but also them knowing you and trusting you. Right. No, no, I like what you said about the network effect too, because it is what we're going for, right? Network effect and economies of scale, the two, the two goals here. Mm-hmm. Getting companies riding together, sharing bus lines and things ultimately uh, lowers overhead costs, right? But it also adds uh, that, that network effect component to it with different nodes that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we are working on a few of those projects right now in Eastern Ontario, and, and it is definitely a goal to have um, companies ride together to share these lines, to share the cost, uh, to take some of the stress and the load off of public transit. Um, I, I don't think the budgets will necessarily get proportionately bigger to the to the, the influx of population mm. so we're trying to come in kind of preemptively and say look we can help you set up the infrastructure ahead of time right let's at least support the corporations first so that people can have jobs and be out there properly and and be able to support the the economy out there mm. um, the other thing we're doing sorry is we we actually partnered up with another company from aurora um a chew health okay uh, so we're, we're operating kind of, we call it like end-to-end protection for your business um, because we're doing the contact tracing with them now for, for COVID. Mm. So, you know, we're taking it a step further. We've upped our policies already. We get the buses sanitized daily. Um, we provide PPE if we need to on the buses. But Achu came in and said, look, why don't we work on this together? We can do the contact tracing through the mobile app with you, right? So it's all like one seamless process. Companies don't have to worry because we send them the aggregate data sets every morning in real time too. Um, it's just going to be part of life, right? And so, really, what we're trying to do is business continuity. Yeah, that's interesting because you're right. You know, through this logistic service, you have first barrier of entry, right, for people before they enter the workspace or even uh, to their end destination. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, what, what does that look like? The the, the COVID uh, testing. Are are you uh, amplifying it? Are, are you using existing services? Uh, yeah, so Chew already had it kind of built into a mobile app. I think everybody, everybody in health tech, I think when COVID happened, built a, a contact app, right? Yeah, yeah. We liked Chew because we have we had an existing relationship with them, uh, but also the way that they do it is not as in, invasive as some of the other companies, right? Like mm-hmm. 
with the new privacy protection laws coming out, like one of the biggest concerns for us is to make sure that we are adhering to them. Mm. Uh, to, and a was very on board for that. They understand how to aggregate data properly, right? Not store the wrong data and, and uh, how to secure it properly as well. So we, we kind of do it on a mobile app together, uh, on a dashboard together, whatever it might be, we're, we're developing it right now and building it. But um, it's mainly just the, the check-ins on the symptoms every day. And then we're developing a process right now with them to to have people actually go to testing facilities if they have uh, certain symptoms in a day. Are you talking about uh, Atu Health, the, the armband solution that yeah. uh, they're working on? Yeah. Oh, those guys are sick. Um, <laughs> we had Andrew from from them on the podcast as well. Andrew's our friend. He's down the street from me. He's down the street from me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome, Ben. Like, uh, so, uh, like, yeah, like they have. Um, they had a, a great team there that uh, was a great, cool product. So that's a great partnership. And it's one of the interesting things about uh, launching a company is the partnerships that come out of it, right? Like, you know, some different players coming to solve different issues and together you have like a better service offering, right? Product offering. Um, so let's take a pause and go back a little bit about the data, right? I, 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 like, I, I think the data that you're working on there's a lot of parallels to a few other companies that came on here uh, we talked about as well. So, you know, one of the things about data is that we, we, we as a culture have gotten used to the idea of collecting data, right? Like we have these devices that collect data now, you know, cell phones and all, all these all these sensors. But now it's like, what do we do with it, right? How do you really action and deploy it? So one of the cool things coming out is like you know, the, the idea of like digital twins, right? Digital twin technologies. So it's like, how do you use these sensors to create like a simulation of what's going to ha what's happening in real time that you can go backwards in time with and do forward predictions on, like simulations on? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a company we had on here called 3D Cityscapes. Uh, these guys raised a monster round recently. Yeah, really? uh, yeah you guys know you guys know resin them? I, I I think we were supposed to meet them a couple times, it just didn't end up happening yet. But I, yeah. I yeah, you hear about them all the time. Yeah, yeah, they're busy, man. They're doing great. Um, so Reza and me go back, way back. Uh, we used to work together in, um, in the commercial industry, right? So when I was working in, the, uh, when I mentioned my old boss, like we used to do sales together. He was so he used to, he used to sell um, commercial roofing. I used to sell uh, commercial lighting, commercial and industrial lighting uh, upgrades back when like LED lighting solutions were being upgraded. So we we're like, Yo, you sell the exterior, I sell the interior. Let's just go out and like talk to people together. <laughs> and uh, and anyway, so. One of the things that uh, they're working on and they're, and they're really thinking about is like, how can we take, they, they, they create like these 3D models of yeah. entire buildings and they're trying to build entire cities under the Unity engine. We're talking about this. So when his co-founder James came on the podcast last year, we talked about this. It's like, how can we take those models, input data into it and create a simulation of what's going on within a city, within a building and like within a micro and a macro kind of, uh, kind of world, right? And he just paused and he's like, Yo, that's that's the real interesting part. That's yeah. when things get really interesting. When you can have these simulation models that you can look at, play around with. It's like SimCity brought to life, right? <laughs> right? Like, you know, you can just like put these objections, like, uh, like, you know, make these uh, changes and then the simulation can tell you how that will affect things, right? How amazing would that be for our infrastructure, for our future planning, for our development efforts when like, you can just go in and see how things are operating right now and how to make it better. And how much better would, how much crazy would be like you pair that with open data, you know, with open visualizations, you know, you have 
average people playing around with this, trying to find the best way to like source things together. Right. Sure. To be honest with you, like they're they're a huge inspiration to what we're doing. Like we, mm -hmm. we constantly look at what they're working on because when we when we observe them for a while, we realized okay, there's really cool uh, technology you can develop in infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. but, you know, obviously there is, but everybody else was so focused on developing autonomous vehicle software, right, and, and developing the new the new autonomous car. Um, but when we looked at them, we were like, okay, this is really cool, and we shifted our focus and said. Why don't we focus on developing grid infrastructure for roadways mm. and models for that instead, right? Because we actually looked at them and said, okay, they're doing buildings. It definitely ties into that. And like, we can all take a piece of how a city is built. Yeah. Actually develop it properly. Right. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the things I was talking about, like, you know, take a leadership model and build partnerships with this space. Cause this is such a giant problem. That if like you know, and there's so many people we you know we've talked to that are uh, that are, are trying to like they're so interested in this problem as well, you know it's like, and um it's like it's like you know when companies come together and they build like a think tank or association together to be like cool we're gonna build this mutual product or mutual thing together that we're all gonna benefit from right, and like I think that, that I think we're heading towards that I think leadership's gonna come from either like a main company like three cityscapes um, a, a city or even a, a governmental partner someone's gonna come in and say cool we gotta build this thing right because it, it's so it's so valuable but let's talk about why like you know why is it so important that we improve our our, our systems like this you know like why why what's the reason for you what, like what's the what's the desire burning desire like I know you experience problems but how does translating from like, you know, not being able to get to place on time or having to transit, you know, for so long translate into like, okay, how can you solve a widespreading problem? What is your, what is the personal uh, story behind this? What's the itch? I think the general theme for the three of us has always been like freedom, like freedom of choice, mm. um, quality of, of your everyday life. Um, and I think giving people that opportunity at least uh, will give them the platform they need to to make their own situations better. Um, we all come from immigrant families, and I think uh, all of our parents at some point had to struggle through something. Um, I mean, for me, my, I remember my dad telling me when they first came to Toronto, my grandma had taken two buses one way every day for the first, like, three months to go to English school because it was only offered at Seneca. Yeah. At, like, Shepherd and 401 location or, or, or Young and 401 lo location. Yeah. Um, and I think we looked at it and just said, that's, that's probably the fastest way or, or most impactful way for us to give people the opportunity to live better lives, to make their own choices and actually be in charge of their own lives and, and, and do better for themselves. Wow. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, being an immigrant myself, absolutely understand this. You know, I see my parents having to do the exact same thing, travel all this distance. Mom, I think went to the same Seneca for accounting, uh, to, uh, to get her accounting degree. So, you know, she would do that and, you know, you know, go to go to work full time, then go to night classes to finish that, then come back home exhausted. Right. Like traveling takes such a such a toll on people. Right. Yeah. And being able to do that more efficiently, uh, being able to do that better, it's absolutely a big problem set. Right. Yeah. So what's what's next? Like, how does how does this translate into movement? Right. Are you like, you know, you're building the this technology. You have these industrial par these partnerships developing. You have um, you know these networks into these companies, right? What does what does the future hold for you guys? Like, what does the what does the ideal future look like? 
Um, I think the ideal future for us, well, first of all, we're trying to help with return to work and, and business continuity. Mm-hmm. So helping those essential services stay alive and operational is, is a key for us in the short term. Um, in the long term, though, yeah, it's looking, it's being able to collect heptabytes of data um, and to to apply them to our machine learning algorithms, right, to develop those algorithms properly, and then ultimately work with companies like 3D Cityscapes to develop the cities of tomorrow, right? Mm. What we actually want to see as a smart city, um, you know, rather than just build a city in the middle of something, you start to integrate these technologies slowly into the cities that exist, right, and to develop mm. them uh, different models. Yeah. That, I think at scale, we're developing cities, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. Have you keeping track of what's going on in China, like how their integrated technology, uh, 5G technologies into cities, smart cities? Yeah, that, that's a huge inspiration. We're we're trying to work with the Encore testbed right now and then work with uh, with Sengen. We just had a, a, an introductory call with them, but um, to help us with the IoT systems that we're developing too. So yeah. we, we definitely look at those models in China. I think they're always doing something interesting over there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, ourselves. Any 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 uh, tidbits there? Like what what in China is uh, super interesting from your perspective? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about here again with that, but sure. um, it's it's mainly just looking at like, I mean, we it's not even about that. We go back to like their I think the root of everything they do, which is like looking at people and. Not, de- not not taking away the qualitative functions or anything, but just saying we have this mass amount of people. So like really what is the most efficient way to move them before asking anything else, right? And I think you can build off of efficacy. If you build models that are you know insanely luxurious right away, then you can't bring it back down for efficacy. You have to build it from the ground up. And I think they do mm-hmm. a building from the ground up in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also China is, uh, it's, it has like a huge leg up on. It's like building from the ground up, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of that is because, you know, they're rapidly, uh, they've been rapidly industrializing. And, and anytime you're building something new, it's easier to put in a new process. But, um, and then whereas in North America, we have all these existing infrastructure, we have all these existing processes that we have to change and augment and, and maneuver, right? I mean, everything from like, look, like, look what we need for self-driving, right? Like they say, like, it's going to require about a trillion dollars in, in, um, in, uh, what's it, um, uh, infrastructure upgrades can be required just to support self-driving in itself, right? Um, and like, you know, so like, you know, from smart roadways to just data capture to like, uh, to doing uh, in, like, these changes, it's going to be expensive, time-consuming, and, and a movement, right? What, like, what are your hopes? Like, you know, you, you feel like there's going to be this influx of government money that goes into this project. Do you feel like there's going to be technologies like yourself that can you know, lower the costs or barriers of entry to make these changes? What, what, what happens first? Like, where does this problem uh, get solved from? I think there's always money coming from the government. Like, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's ups and downs too with everything, right? But there's always there's always funding coming through because I think they do see the value in these projects and the progression of, of the technology. But the main thing you, you touched on there is lowering the cost on our end, right? Mm-hmm. Lowering the cost, expediting processes. Um, like we can build a transit line in under a month at like half the cost per annum right now. Yeah. Uh, it usually takes about a year and a quarter million dollars a year to run the line. We can do it in under a month at $125,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you feel about um, uh, Elon's uh, um, transit <laughs> system? 
<laughs> I think it, I think it's interesting. I mean, everything he does is interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> can, he can do no wrong there. He just does what he feels, and and we all yeah. watch. But I think I think um, I, I think he's always leading the way, but uh, there needs to be more companies like like ours. I think. Yeah are coming in to offer some more meat on the bones there and support systems for that, right? Because it's it's good and then he can scale it out as much as he wants to, but if people in, in local regions don't adopt what yep. he's working on with the transit specifically, um, it's going to stay a local solution, right? It's never going to to expand out to the whole world. So I see us as a piece that's integral in helping companies like his in, in their transit efforts. Have you have you read the original document for the for Hyperloop? Not the original document, no. I can't say I have. I think I think it's worth looking at. Um, more than anything, just like how he explained it, like how he brought it out. So the story, the backstory, I remember this. Like this is when I became like Elon fan, like diehard, right? Like right. it's just like the way it came out. So in California at the time, you know, there were uh, there was like this back and forth um, discussion about you know building this. Uh, uh, with a transit line, like a, like a uh, transit line from, um, I think, Calif- I think from um, Los Angeles, LA to uh, San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. And companies were bidding on this, and there was like $12 billion, $10 billion, $14 billion, and like these multi billion dollar projects. And uh, like Elon was just like, why the fuck does it cost this much, right? Like, this is insane. Like, why, like, you're 100% inflating this. So this is when he was still busy with SpaceX, still like, you know, just launching this stuff up and all this. And he's just like, like literally overnight, like over Twitter, like he's like tweeting about this, like, you know, tweeting about these problems. Like, why is it costing this much? This is all definitely hyperinflated. It's not, you can solve this problem for much less. Why is no one applying first principle thinking to this? Why can't we reinvent? So he said, had his whole tweet storm. And over a few days, he's got like more and more into this idea and about this. And then he just tweeted this 30-page document, right? Like with like architectural designs of this Hyperloop engine. And it's like the, you put a vacuum cube so that vacuum tube so that there's no there's a reduction of um uh, of uh, of uh, uh, the air doesn't um what is it um restrict movement, right? There's no less friction. And then you can go as fast as you want down this. And in this, like you know, less energy, less all this, you know. And then this is how you'd build it. And you can completely reinvent travel, and here's how you do it, like a full blueprint on how to do it. Yeah. And it was just like, holy, sh- like this is the kind of stuff that you want out of entrepreneurs. This is the kind of bold thinking. This is the kind of things. But more than anything, is the idea of open innovation. This guy's like, this is a problem. You know, I like there, here's a here's a potential solution. It's not perfect, but I think it has some legs to it. Take it, go with it, right? Mm-hmm. And him putting it out there was just like, holy shit, right? But more than that, like he's opened up a lot of like first principle thinking to this for the logistics problems, right? Thinking about this, like how do we break away from like the traditional ways of doing things, break it down to the core problems and reinvent using modern solutions. And uh, I mean, this is a big problem. We were talking to, I was talking to um, uh, Reza about this as well, is that, you know, there's a time when humanity, you know, we can, we built the, the, the Empire State Building was built in like less than, uh, less than a year, right? Um, you know, the, the bridges, the, the biggest bridges that, uh, that that we we talk about were built in months, right? But now it it takes like a, a house gets uh, takes about three years to get built. You know, we overinflate costs. We put in all these inefficiencies in there because there is a mechanism to make money, 
right? From over for reflecting that, and all these people and all these partners, uh, all these um, elements are there that benefit from inefficiencies, right? So one of the biggest problems that we have as innovators that we're trying to solve is how do we navigate through those benefiting from the inefficiencies, right? Either like the like there has to be like a pro con, right? Like either like the technology to fight these inefficiencies gets so radically good that like the cost reduction is there that people switch to that, or there's got to be like a large level movement to this almost, right? Like look at the look at the resistance now for like the clean tech movement, right? Like like the the the, the, the automotive industry have been fighting this for 50 years. And now everyone's got an EV, right? Like, yeah, we have EV future, right? Like everything's about like, like electric, you know, we can't have gas anymore. Come on. It's just like these hundred year old companies just switched, you know, overnight yeah. into this level of thinking, right? And we have these radical transformation periods we go through, but like, this is one of the problems that like innovators or bold thinkers have to navigate is like those benefiting from the inefficiencies, mm-hmm. right? Um, is that something you guys personally have to deal with? Like, are you dealing with inefficiency market uh, in the marketplace that large players are holding on to? Like, do you have to navigate that? Or do you feel that, um, you know, people are ready for that kind of change shifts? No, I, I think our industry is still pretty antiquated in a lot of ways. Um, and, and that's why, like, again, we took the time originally to understand the industry, learn all we could and, and look at data sets, talk to people. Right, because you have to understand an industry like this before you can play in it. Like mm. Just another beast, right? Um, so yeah, there are inefficiencies still. I think there are still a lot of antiquated models that we work through and have to work around. But we're starting to to show some 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 results now. Like it's coming to fruition a bit for us. And there are companies that are starting to see the value, like Maple Lodge, of what we're doing. Um, and, and so we're starting to break that barrier. I think right now. I think yeah. I want. Something like that as well, because we're talking about a little bit about um, some of those barriers, right, for some of the, the innovators, entrepreneurs to come up with things. And I think the Elon example with Hyperloop and what he just does generally, right, is he instead of kind of asking permission, he just kind of proposes solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's definitely a step in the right direction. And it's something that we've kind of taken to heart as well. Um, just a quick example that we do out in Brampton is that we work with the uh, Brampton uh, downtown Brampton BIA. And over COVID, because of the restriction of foot traffic in Brampton, a lot of the downtown companies were suffering because they rely a lot of people like coming through the market and you know, stopping their store and buying something very quickly. Um, and a lot of them didn't actually have a um, any delivery system kind of set up. So what we did was we actually engaged with the Brampton BIA and created a delivery system using the uh, kind of a stripped down version of our logistics model to create a delivery system. So now all the downtown companies um, in Brampton have free delivery to the Brampton residents. Yeah. Uh, I was able to um, really super, um, like the, the track that they lost due to COVID, they would, they would never have gone back without the delivery, uh, delivery service that we were able to provide. So I think what we were able to provide over there was we came to the Brampton BIA with a solution and they're like, okay. So, but like, I think it'd be different if they had to sit down and figure out like, okay, how do we help? Because there, there, there are ways of helping were kind of like, very restricted on, you know, um, set policies, and that was continuously changing because of the government, right? In terms of like the flow of people that could come inside, um, in and out of buildings. Mm-hmm. So we're, okay, so that's going to be kind of an unknown. But what we can do is control the delivery and movement of a parcel to help their product reach their reach their customer. And I think by proposing solutions for people instead of kind of asking them, you know, how to how to solve it, 
Um, it's up to them to determine, you know, is it applicable? And for them, for, for Brampton BIA, it was just like, yeah, this makes sense. Um, it's easy. And they had a lot of um, extra cash because they weren't doing things like Santa Claus parade and stuff like that. So, you know, we were able to do this and the Brampton, uh, Brampton companies very much benefit from it. Yeah, yeah. So what is, I mean, what does that look like for you guys? Like, like you in full form, right? You know, like, you know, high, like, you know, like running, like uh, fully up and running with your technologies running, you know, full team, uh, fully funded. Like what does final form look like for you guys? Are you an information technology player with like, you know, on the logistics side, just like telling people how things should move and function better. And like, you know, are, are you more on like the, the policy side trying to figure things out or are you more, in, oh, I think we're breaking up a little bit, but um, or are you, are you more interested in the actual logistics, like actually moving people? That's the funny thing is, um, I think each of us are one of those things you mentioned. <laughs> um, like, you know, Erwin's really into the information technology side of it, yeah. right? And that's why we all came together on this, because he's really into that. And he and I have talked a lot about developing our more of these, these, um, uh, these data sets, right? And to develop them around the info. Yeah, sorry, give me, yes. Boyd is really hurting. Yeah, we're breaking up really bad. Can you can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Okay, I think we're a little better there. Uh, sorry, yeah, can you, can you uh, continue on? Do you want to run it back or just keep going? Yeah, if you can run it back. You cut up a little bit, got a little choppy. Uh, I, think, I, I think we're aiming for all three things that you mentioned. Um, each one of us takes to, to one of those things in particular, yeah. which is came together on this problem like Irwin's really into the information tech side right he and I've talked a lot about developing our labs to um, develop our data sets into algorithms right to to kind of further the deep tech side of this um, Boyd is really ingrained in the logistics now right he's looking at these models constantly he's looking at like FedEx and UPS too right he's looking at and saying okay there's this whole world of logistics that we can get into um, and then I, I love the, the policy side. I love uh, legislatures and regulations and you know all the stuff that they find really boring, I love. <laughs> uh, so I'm reading statutory law constantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, as to the policy. Um, so I think we bring it all together, right? And that's what makes a company because there are pieces that, that make a whole, right? And um, to say we're focusing on one aspect, I think would limit us and, and we never want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so. I mean, we're three very different people, but we were able to bring it together for, for this greater good, I guess, or this greater goal that we're trying to accomplish. Definitely. Guys, I think that's, uh, that's a wrap. Like, this, this has been great. I really enjoyed the discussion. Um, really looking forward to seeing what comes out of uh, your technologies, man. Like, um, we need better cities. We need smarter cities. But that all happened because of good analytics and good, uh, good data. Thank you so much for having us. This is for the holidays. Yeah, amazing. Definitely. Um, I, I think we're starting to lose you guys, so we'll we'll, we'll cut it here. But um, stick around. We'll do a quick debrief. Uh, I think we lost you there for a minute. Yeah, we're we're getting choppy. All right. So yeah, we'll cut it here. Um, for everyone who's tuned in, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening.